So I'm delighted to welcome you to, uh, to a, a unique panel. Uh, this panel is going to focus on the industry and capital market strategy for smaller cap shipping companies. Uh, it, you know, we are just coming out of a panel that uh, was discussing industry consolidation and M&A. And clearly there are always uh, benefits uh, and synergies and economies of scale uh, when you do consolidation and M&A. But at the same time, uh, shipping is a fragmented industry and I think smaller players uh, can compete uh, on more or less the, uh, on equal footing with their larger peers. Uh, and uh, these companies are quality companies with significant growth potential. Actually, the growth potential for a smaller company is much bigger compared to a larger peer. Uh, so here we have three listed companies, uh, four actually listed companies, um, small cap, medium cap, and uh, they will discuss their strategy. And we have Tate Sullivan from Maxim Group, the shipping analyst who's going to moderate. So I would like to thank Tassos Aslidis Henry Williams and Anthony Agiropoulos. And without any more delay, I'm turning it over to Tate today to take over. And thank you very much. Hi, Hi. thank you. And thank you for, for all the great events today. I cover shipping companies in Maxim Group's equity research department and our panel today is called Industry and Capital Market Strategy for Small Cap Companies. Happy to be joined by executives from four public companies, CFOs, Tassos from Eurodry and Euroseas, EDRY and ESEA, CFO Anthony from Performance Shipping, ticker PSHG, and CFO Henry Williams from Pixis Tankers, ticker PXS. Thank you, gentlemen, all for participating in the panel today. Uh, we have a good, good sample of shipping end markets on our panel with Eurodrive's dry bulk ships, Eurosea's container carriers, and tankers for performance shipping in Pixis, and with a focus on this panel on your industry and capital market strategies. I th thought I would jump right in and start the panel today with, with, with this topic on business development strategies. And it's a good transition from the previous panel. And I'll go, I'll usually rotate alphabetical by company name, but we can certainly mix it up. And all of your companies operate in global shipping industries. And Kitasos, we'll start with you with Euro Season Euro Dry. Can you mention some of your competitive advantages for each of your listed companies? with your current mix of ships and, and in your end market, please, to start. Thank you, Tate, and thank you very much, Capital Link, for inviting us for one more time to participate in this very useful conference. I think Eurosys has been a player in the public markets since 2005 and enlisted on Nasdaq since 2007. Uh, we started being in both segments, both uh, containers and dry bulk. And in 2018, we've, we, um, realized that we could unlock value by separating the fleets and, and thus we spun out uh, Eurodry on its own separate listing to, de to develop and pursue its own strategy. For both companies, we believe that uh, our competitive strength is really the, is based on the efficient and safe operations of our vessels. Um, that has been the cornerstone of the of our sponsor, the Peters family of Greece for the last almost one and a half centuries. We date back all the way back to the late 1800s. So building on the love for ships and on an efficient and safe operation, we are trying to navigate the quite challenging, I should say, uh, markets, both on the shipping side and on the capital market uh, side. Uh, being that as a, as a core, then we are trying to see 
what are the right assets to buy and how to best finance them. Great, thank you for that for that overview. Uh, shifting to you, Anthony, performance ship, uh, shipping. Can you talk to talk about your some of your advantages in your end market based on the size of your company and ship mix, please? Yeah, look, I think I think all, all three of us, four of us, I guess, uh, if you count two for Tassos, uh, you know, we want to grow. You know, the the, the fleets, the operations of the company, achieve, achieve a certain degree of scale in our operations, which is critical. Uh, as far as performance goes, we are focused uh, in the tanker sector broadly, starting with uh, an Aframax fleet uh, of, of five vessels. We have a stated goal to double the size of our fleet within the next 12 to 24 months. And I can tell you that what really, uh, what, what this is predicated on uh, for the most part is the ability to access uh, the equity capital markets to raise the requisite capital. Uh, we also have a clear strategy of having uh, net leverage below 35%. So as you can appreciate, another five tankers means that we're going to primarily raise uh, equity capital to fund our growth. Turning over to, to you, Henry, can you highlight your competitive advantages, please? Yeah. Thanks, Tate. Um, also, thanks to uh, Capital Link uh, for per having the opportunity to participate in today's conference. Uh, Pixis Tankers, as you may know, is a small uh, product tanker company. Uh, we have five vessels. Um, we really focus on Echo uh, MRs, primarily Echo Mods and Echo Efficient, uh, modern Echo Efficient uh, tankers uh, to move uh, a broad range of uh, um, cargoes through many, many different ports uh, throughout the world. Um, points of differentiation, really uh, chartering strategy. We use a combination of uh, time charters and spot. I would say in this type of market, we're really focusing more on short-term short time charter. We think uh, starting really the second half of uh, this year, uh, rates will improve and we'll have an, a better opportunity to participate in an uplift, uh, which should hopefully be sustainable for the next couple of years from the standpoint of charter rates. Um, other competitive advantages uh, would be um, our cost structure. We're very, very focused on daily operating costs. Um, that really runs up and down the, uh, the income statement. Uh, we, we have a, a, a model that is probably as, uh, as efficient as some of the largest competitors in our business from the standpoint of cost structure. Uh, the last item I'd, I'd point out is uh, management uh, is very aligned with uh, the shareholders, uh, common shareholders, uh, as it owns approximately 48% uh, of the company. That is led by our founder, Eddie Valentis, who's been in the business his entire professional career. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Henry. And shifting to you, Tassa, then uh, besides focusing on the business strategies of, of all your companies, too, looking at the public listing benefits as as well for for each of your companies and your and markets. I mean, with a broad question, and you touched. I didn't hear the last couple of sentences, yeah. uh, Tate. I don't know whether you can repeat. I can I can talk about the benefits of being public if this is what you ask, but I missed the last uh, two sentences. Yes, please. The benefits of being public. I think uh, being being in the public markets, one thing that we uh, enjoyed, I should say, is having um, lower cost of capital to fund our 
our plans at our expansion, not only by raising my money in the, in the public markets as equity, but also uh, getting some uh, access to more sources of capital. We, we have been able to raise money in private transactions um, and also by, by having in general, lower cost of debt and greater choice of banks to, uh, to fund uh, that portion of our balance sheet. I think that's a, that was, that's a, dis a distinct advantage that we saw. An additional and a, a supporting uh, aspect in uh, to all of that from being public is that there is a, a transparency across the operations and um, the availability of um, all these structure uh, handily to potential financiers makes uh, my life and uh, the life of uh, all of our executives in our company much easier by being public. Great, Anthony. You mentioned before, and I hope you can hear me now too, the benefit of access to capital too. Uh, are there other benefits that you'd highlight from your public listing or also related to that, or if you wanted to comment on challenges too? Well, obviously, look, I mean, from a, from a it's not a matter of really challenging, but as you can appreciate, there's a heightened level of disclosure, uh, reporting, it's more costly, uh, but I think that uh, the, the benefits uh, far outweigh the disadvantages. Uh, as I said before, we look forward to accessing the markets. Uh, in addition to our fleet, I think, going back to your other question, uh, I think we have um, uh, a competitive advantage in terms of a very, very transparent corporate structure. All the different functions are, are uh, wholly owned. Uh, we too have a large shareholder owning 47%. We have one class of stock. There's nothing else, just common shares, no warrants, no convertibles, no other types of securities. Um, and I, I, I think that the main uh, advantage of being public is that you can actually invite investors to participate in your business, to grow the business, uh, and based on our model, where we have a variable dividend policy, is when the rates are above our break-even uh, level, uh, we distribute the majority of that cash you know, back to our shareholders. Uh, in the last, uh, I would say, despite the tanker market being very poor, in the last three or four months since we initiated our new business strategy and focused on the tanker sector uh, and dividend policy, we have uh, seen actually quite a lot of institutional interest. Great. Henry, would you echo most of what Anthony said? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, I, I do want to chime in on a couple of things, um, a couple of other benefits uh, of being public. Um, one of the items would be obviously using um, our shares as uh, added currency to potentially affect certain strategic initiatives, such as M&A work, whether you're acquiring companies or ships, more importantly, ships. You've seen that recently in three or four different transactions that have uh, that have been completed across many different sectors within shipping. Uh, also, the, the ability to have um, uh, stock grants and whatever can provide long-term incentives for management beyond cash compensation. So those are two obvious things that, that uh, are, are additional benefits. I, I would echo a number of the, uh, the, the, the challenges uh, from the standpoint of being a public company besides the cost. Uh, but when you really look, to, look at it, um, it is, um, uh, situation, you have to manage sometimes the volatility. Being a small stock, um, our, our stock can have huge periods of times where dramatic price movements, dramatic uh, volume movements, 
uh, sometimes it's not, uh, you know, explicable. And, and it's, uh, it's a question of just pure momentum, uh, day triggers, whatever. And so there, there are certain times that you have to just, uh, I would say, live through some significant volatility. You may be trading for a period of time significantly below NAV and at other times significantly above. So that type of uh, volatility clearly exists in, in more micro cap shipping uh, equities. Is I, the positive listing, I mean, more visibility to multiple institutional retail investors too. And then, I mean, does it get on those days with, with your stock when it's moving rapidly? I mean, do you have very active call volume or do you just let it run on those kind of days? Oh yeah, we, we, get, we will get certain calls, um, including NASDAQ and things like that from a standpoint of monitoring. But I, I would say there's most of the time it's not tied into any, any press release or anything like that. It's just, you know, I would say some herd mentality that occurs. Um, so um, it's, and, and, as, and as you probably notate, um, you know, last year, approximately 25% of the volume on the US stock exchanges actually occurred through retail um, investors. And whether that's direct, uh, uh, individuals buying a program, trading, whatever it is, it's retail linked. And so that I think for everyone in the shipping business is really a challenge is how to cultivate, monitor uh, that type of uh, emerging channel because that's dramatically different than 10 years ago where you did find a number of long only institutional investors. That game has changed. Great, thank you. And Tasso, shifting back to you, I mean, you have the audience, the broader investor audience with retail and institutional by having the public listing, but I'm interested in how many times your public listing comes into conversations you have with your debt providers. Does it at all? Is it an advantage sometimes pointing to your public listing and the more frequent financial reporting and public information, or is it not really part of a discussion? Uh, I think it, it does play a role, I, I would dare to say a significant role. Um, our, the banks we work with uh, feel a, a lot more comfortable funding a public company. I think it's not the public listing alone that helps. Obviously, the, the track record of the, of the company and the predecessors and uh, uh, the presence of uh, the Peters family in shipping are significant contributing factors. But um, um, the, the, the fact that all there's transparency, as I mentioned earlier, and um, uh, there is a, a public markets to which the company can turn to raise additional equity if needed. Uh, all are comfort, comforting uh, aspects of, uh, of, the, of, the, of our presence to the banks. Anthony, will you echo what Toss was mentioned in terms of does, do you talk about your share price and being a public company with your debt lenders or is it completely separate from the conversation or does it depend? I, 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 I would say that the actual share price is not something that comes up quite frequently. As you know, the lenders are primarily focused, it's asset-based lending, they're focused on the value of the asset, the financial covenants associated with a particular loan uh, and, and the like. And uh, you know, lenders have the luxury being in first position when things go wrong, uh, just to expect the company to somehow fund the uh, you know, potential issues, be the covenant breach or uh, repayment or maturity. Uh, so I, in general, I echo what Tasso said. I think they feel more comfortable uh, with uh, a, a public company, particularly uh, 
when we compare the size of the fleets that our companies have, uh, if we were a private owner with 50 or 100 ships, it would have been different. Uh, but given the size of our, of our operations, I think they're more comfortable with us being, uh, having access to public uh, capital. Henry, is that the case with your yeah. company? I, I agree. You know, I, I would say majority of our lenders are, um, are, are happy we're public uh, from the added disclosure standpoint. Also, the, the ability to potentially tap other forms of uh, capital, which helps uh, either sustain, sustain the business or help it grow. So in, in a general sense, uh, I would say um, uh, most of our lenders are very pleased that we are public, but they don't get into the share price. That's right. And, and also, I'm interested with with you, you're, you're the CFO of two listed companies. Do you have do you find it improve, improves your efficiency with all the different processes of being a public company, or is it? Or no the, the, I mean, the, the two companies are the evolution of a single venture that started with. So it, it is not um, obviously they are being run and managed uh, separately, the one from the other, uh, but it doesn't add or subtract anything in. Uh, when we're dealing with the banks. I think we're pursuing uh, parallel and separate strategies for, for, for each of the two companies. And, and sticking with you two and the benefits of the public listing. I'm always, when you're negotiating shipping rates with customers as well, is it, do they like negotiating with the company that has a public share price and more visibility or does it matter in the sh conversations with shipping customers? I imagine sometimes they would prefer a company with more public financials than a private company, or is that not the case? Yeah, I think that that could be a benefit, but uh, to the best of my understanding, I don't think it makes much difference when you're discussing a time charter contract, whether the company is public or not. I think it does help, it doesn't subtract, but um, I think really the focus of those deals are on the specifics of the deal, the vessel, the timing of the contract and the rate. I would uh, agree. The only thing that I would say it might help is uh, KYC. It's much easier from the standpoint of getting clarity because, you, as you know, these days, and we, we deal with obviously major integrated oil companies, major traders, uh, of number of which are public, and, and they, uh, as part of their uh, vetting uh, approval process, uh, they're looking into, uh, besides the vessels on all the uh, uh, the technical aspects, uh, they want to know, you know, who we are, our reputation, and, and obviously having um, public filings makes that process a little bit quicker. Is that the case case with you as well, Anthony, as well? Would you highlight? Yeah, I agree. I, I, I don't have a lot to add in terms of the customers or the banks. Uh, clearly, there are certain benefits. Yeah, I uh, think it removes any any credit coming I mean, you can evaluate the credit of the counterparty very easily because you are transparent and public if you right. try exactly. to deal with yeah. small private uh, companies then in doing a deal you get into the trouble of figuring out how credit worth they are with public companies that is out there so uh, that is a benefit of course for facilitating the overall transaction can you shifting gears a little bit and staying with you Todd, can you talk about when you entertain and evaluate potential ship acquisitions and acquiring other companies that may have multiple ships is, is talking about the, your potential issue capital as, issue shares as part of that deal right at the forefront of the conversation or how do you usually approach introducing your shares as currency in acquisition? I think that depends on the situation and, and, and depends on the strategic objectives of the deal that you are, that you are trying to evaluate. I think some, in some cases, 
you have to do an outright purchase, go through the, the normal channels and uh, uh, offer cash. In, in certain other cases, especially if there are potential synergies or potential um, plans of growing together, the, you could invite or you could offer to the previous owners the possibility of uh, getting paid partly in shares. I think we did uh, a couple of transactions of that sort in 2019, Eurosys, um, increased more than doubled in size and definitely doubled, definitely more than double in terms of value uh, by um, paying partly in shares for a total of eight vessels and which, which have become the, the, the core of, this, uh, of the nucleus of our current fleet. And they, they were quite successful transactions for us uh, as well. But those were started by being intended to be partly shares for vessel deals and uh, had a, that feature in them. Anthony, can you share a, share an anecdote, a story or using shares with an acquisition or evaluator and how you usually proceed with introducing shares as capital and acquisitions? We've had, uh, we haven't actually uh, done this as, as, as I mentioned, uh, our even though the company has been listed since 2011, it was mainly the container ship sector uh, and it went through a divestment program uh, between 2019 and 2020. So effectively, we've been a pure tanker company um, as of uh, you know, Q4 of last year, uh, rolling out you know, a new strategy, uh, business strategy, as well as management. Uh, we have received proposals to do so, to use the, the stock as a currency, to acquire assets. Um, because our business strategy uh, is, as I said before, incumbent on raising equity capital to, to grow, uh, whether we raise that capital directly in the public markets or whether we uh, issue that stock to the seller, in, in, in a sense, it's, it's one and the same. Uh, if, it's, if we can enter into a larger transaction on, on, a, on a multiple number of vessels, uh, where stock is involved. And I think that's where uh, issuing stock to the seller of the assets uh, plays a more important role. And we're obviously very willing to consider that. Henry, would you like to add anything? Yeah, to the only thing I'd say is obviously cash is king. Um, but you know, the situation of utilizing uh, our stock, uh, really it, it sort of um, depends upon both parties' perspective. Uh, where we are from the standpoint of current stock price, vis-a-vis uh, -vis our net asset value at the same time, the other side, uh, looking at their um, um, perception about our stock, its liquidity, their near-term registration rights, and their ability to hold and potentially appreciate um, uh, with our stock. So it's, it's really, I, I would say it's always uh, the discussion about having stock as part of the equation to make acquisitions it is a secondary perspective beyond um, looking at uh, the cash component. If I, can update, if I can add a comment here to what uh, Henry said and to that discussion, I think another aspect of this type of transaction shares for, for Vestel is at what price you value the shares. Uh, you, I think all of us are aware, and I'm sure you're aware that ship owners, especially I would say of smaller companies, tend to look at the net asset value of the shares as a reference Point and are quite hesitant to issue shares below that. So sometimes it's a great weapon and a great option to have, 
um, to, 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 to issue shares for, for ships. But uh, some other times it's, it's not really something that you are willing to do because of a discount that the shares are trading and that might limit the usefulness of the, uh, of the option. Mm -hmm. Right, and, and going shifting back to and many, uh, thank you for all the comments on the benefits of having a public listing too and talking more about business strategy side. Can we talk a little bit about your current outlook in your, in your end markets and given where we are today and Nick mentioned earlier, many of the panels have been very positive uh, throughout the day. Uh, are, are you, do you echo that sentiment in terms of the positive outlooks in your end markets? And I'll open it up to whoever, whichever one of you wants to comment first on the end markets. I'll jump in. Um, product tanker business right now, uh, rates are obviously very depressed and, and it's been a difficult period of time, especially since uh, the impact of uh, COVID in the, uh, uh, on the demand side of, uh, of our business, uh, especially in relation to transportation fuels. And, and so uh, right now it's a tough period of time. I, I think there's a, there is a belief and, and we are fully supportive of that come the second half of this year uh, with the improvement of vaccinations, return of economic activity. And we've already started to see that in, in Asia um, is that uh, demand is going to pick up um, and consequently we, we look for an improvement in charter rates, uh, utilization factors, uh, that should be uh, obviously very helpful uh, from the standpoint of uh, revenue generation. Uh, I would say um, the, at the same time, the order book looks very good for our business. And, and what I mean by that, um, uh, you're, you're going to see a net uh, supply growth this year in the neighborhood of about two and a half percent. So when you uh, lay in uh, good uh, demand growth, especially in the latter part of this year, moving into 22 and 23. Uh, we think the outlook for our business looks uh, pretty pretty solid, uh, but you know, again, time will tell. And, and so the, the real issue for us is the demand side and how that affects charter rates. Let me just add to, because since we're in the same, similar, I guess, same sector, um, we just operate crude oil tankers for the time being. We haven't invested in the, the product tanker sector yet. Um, it, it was a very interesting year. Uh, if you think about it, beginning of 2020, Q1, uh, we saw Aframax tanker rates uh, in excess of $50,000 a day. Uh, and during the fourth quarter of the same year, uh, we saw rates um, below $6,000 a day. So the, the volatility that we've had uh, has been, uh, uh, I think, uh, almost unprecedented within such a very short period of time. Um, I agree, and obviously it's very noteworthy that in the absence of a supply, uh, meaning a large order book, typically uh, the industry does well. Uh, we just, what we need in the tanker sector is basically we need uh, more barrels uh, of crude oil as well as refined petroleum products to be produced. And as you know, because of the sensitivity in demand, the decline in the prices, production has been curtailed significantly. Uh, we are, I believe in the onset, uh, particularly with the news about a million and a half barrels coming, uh, coming uh, back in production uh, later this month of uh, increasing charter rates and actually seeing a uh, fundamentals lined up quite positively for the, for, uh, for the tanker sector, crude oil as well as refined petroleum products. I can add a couple of words for the, for the two sectors that uh, we are active in. Uh, we are quite 
optimistic for both sectors. And um, I think we're optimistic primarily because of the supply side. On the dry bulk uh, side first, the order book to fleet ratio being below 6% uh, right now, I think it's one of the lowest, if not the lowest in my career that I have seen in, in shipping. I, I, I deal with this, the industry for a good part of the last 30, 35 years. And I, I don't recall the order book to fleet ratio being below 6%. So that sets the stage for the, for the sector to do quite well if, of course, and I want to stress the if, demand uh, grows with the normal historical um, trends. We are stepping out of the COVID-induced recession, which is a good thing, um, but also we have to face certain trends, the decarbonization and the reduced use of coal, the intended reduced use of coal over the next uh, several years that could go against the, the, the trade growth. But overall, I think we see a couple of years that the market could really, I don't want to use the word explode, but it could really do very well if demand, if demand uh, returns to historical norms. Similarly, on the container ship side, we have an order book that is quite low by historical standards. It was recently 9%, it jumped up a bit now, it's uh, between 10 and 11% because of some orders placed. But there we have some inefficiencies in the system, at least in the short term. We have slow steaming that could keep the supply growth low for the medium term. And again, stepping out of the recession, we should, we should expect to see solid demand for finished goods uh, and, and, and their transportation. So in both sectors, we expect to see, at least in the near term, very good markets, hopefully going beyond that, uh, depending on how many orders are placed. And I would also add, if I may, that this is already recognized by the uh, institutional investor community, uh, equity research analysts. Uh, over the last, I think, 30 days or so, you're now hearing a bit more about uh, technology taking a backseat to all the economy sectors. Uh, you're talking about massive stimulus packages. Uh, you're uh, hearing about a significant amount of pent-up demand that will manifest itself over the next few months when, as people uh, become um, more mobile, if you will, and, and uh, are being transported more. So I, I, I believe that we are, it's the onset of an age uh, of higher global growth, uh, asset-based uh, industries, if you will, commodities in general. And usually uh, this is uh, an environment that uh, is quite supportive for the shipping industry. Henry, would you like to add, well, we talked about the end markets exposure and I've, I'm interested since I, we have a unique opportunity to have uh, CFOs of four companies today on the panel. Can you share uh, as, being in charge of the public company, uh, uh, financial reporting, where do you spend most of your time? Does it fluctuate over the course? Or uh, where where do you find yourself spending most of the time or where would you like to spend most of your time? Well, I think but more recently for us, given the fact that we did a public convertible offering last fall and we just did a, a public, uh, com or excuse me, a private placement of common stock, um, we, we've been very active in the financing uh, arena within the last uh, four or five months. Uh, we, we expect to put that money to good use uh, from the standpoint of acquisitions, uh, restructuring uh, some of our debt, uh, paying down some of our debt, 
uh, let alone just fundamentally improving our uh, balance sheet, lengthening some debt maturities, things like that. So um, I, I think for us, uh, we're, we're uh, looking forward to an opportunity to uh, deploy that capital very uh, accretively and effectively uh, to help position us for further growth, especially with the recovery that we envision later this year, hopefully lasting the next couple of years. And so that should be good for our shareholders. That, that was a form of a closing statement. I'll, I'll circle back to you if you want to add something else on that, but I want to give Tosses and Anthony, we have three minutes left in the panel too. Tosses, is there, uh, what would you like to leave the listeners with uh, about your, your Euro C's and or Euro drive? We spent, at least from in my sector, we, we spent the last, uh, last year in trying to make sure that our balance sheet will withstand any unfortunate developments in the market as they seem to be happening right after the pandemic kicked. Towards the end of the year, we turn, we switch gears and try to um, to make the balance sheet a little more, um, a little less costly by reducing the cost of some instruments that we have, like the preferred, and uh, refinancing some of our SIPs uh, to release some liquidity. And uh, we try, we always try to have a disciplined way of trading and analyzing the deals. I think this is one thing that I'm proud of that we instill in the company over the last 15 years that. All the deals we analyzed were analyzed in a consistent way and trying to be disciplined whether we buy or sell ships. And that has helped us navigate well the last 15 years. Anthony, what would you like to leave in listeners with today? Well, I'll say that I'm very excited uh, in, in, uh, for performance shipping. Um, we expect that the markets will um, be firm. Uh, and as a result, We'll be able to grow our fleet, uh, raise additional equity capital to do so, uh, and at the same time, pay dividends to our shareholders. Uh, we have a variable dividend policy that is unique. Uh, we will be able to distribute cash flow above certain thresholds and pursuant to a very, very specific um, formula that we will articulate along with our uh, Q4 results shortly. Uh, and as a result, uh, I, we really look forward to returning capital to our shareholders as the cycle uh, you know, unfolds. And at the same time, growing the fleet. Uh, as I said, we have a target of doubling the size of the fleet in the next 12 to 24 months. Well, excellent. And don't want to, if you, Henry, if you wanted to interject with anything additionally, but uh, it's been great hearing from all of you with all your different and markets as well too, and all the benefits of having the public share capital um, related to evaluating acquisitions and financings. And, I, and I'm sure, and thank you for your time today, as I know you all have been um, very busy in this type of market, I can imagine. Super. Thank you, Dave. Great, thank you very Thanks. much. Thanks, Dave. Thank you all. Bye, Bye guys. Bye. Thank you.